So last week, I mentioned my son, Josely, who came home three, three years ago. I was actually going to be personally offended if nobody laughed when that picture came up. Um, that's just like a normal Tuesday, by the way. This isn't like any special event or anything like that. That's just Josely being Josely, and he is all joy, all energy, all the time. But before he came home three years ago, we actually took a tri trip down to Haiti uh, and met him. That was before we could bring him home, and there was a process in between. Adoption process is hard, guys. But uh, So we went down to meet him. Before we could bring him home, we had to come back, and, and it was a whole process. But uh, when we met him, we, we uh, got into Port-au-Prince. We flew in, and then it was hours up the mountainside to the orphanage where he was staying. And by the time we got there, it was dark and uh, electricity was kind of spotty at the orphanage, and so it was like really dark up in the mountains, and there was a little bit of security light, but mostly it was really dark. All the kids had already gone to bed, and they were going to school the next day, and then we the next day had to travel all the way back down the mountain, back to Port-au-Prince uh, to go to the U.S. Embassy to do some paperwork and things like that, and we got nervous because that was an early morning for us. We got nervous we were gonna be in Haiti for more than 24 hours and not have met our son, and so we were a little bit brokenhearted about this. And so we decided, you know what, let's just peek in to the, the dorm. It's kind of a dorm room with bunk beds where he's staying, where all the kids stay, and just see. Maybe, he, you know, maybe he's not fully asleep, or maybe we could just see him even if he is sleeping. And so we poke in, and in that moment, there's a rustling that happens. There's about 40 kids in this one uh, dormitory sleeping area, and uh, there's a rustling. And then all of a sudden, we hear, Joe sleep, mama, papa. Right? We hear that. There's one kid kind of randomly. And then more rustling. And then it started to like build. There were more kids. Josely, Mama, Papa, Josely, Mama, Papa. And then like more kids. And it started to like the chorus started to rise. Apparently, because we had pictures up, the kids recognized our face. And so they were like trying to get him awake uh, because he was already sleeping because he goes hard and then he sleeps hard. Uh, and so, uh, so he was Josely, but it's all dark. And so we're just hearing rustling and we're hearing voices and it's all starting to build. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we were uh, a couple steps down outside this room. Out of nowhere comes running this little bundle of joy, and he just leaps, Superman leaps off out of the doorway into Abby's arms, and they just hug, right? And I don't think we were prepared for how much joy that moment was going to bring, how much peace there was in, in the fact that God was bringing our family together, even though we'd been apart and, and the process was going along. Like, God had brought us together, how much love we felt for someone we had never met before. We felt these, we felt these emotions of, of love and, and joy and peace. And it's a moment that we'll never forget, in part because of how deeply we felt in that moment. Two weeks ago at Easter, we looked at how Jesus made this claim, I'm the resurrection and the life. Or said a different way in a different translation, I'm the guy that makes people come alive and stay alive. So his resurrection changes things, transforms us in the here and now, not just later, not just in some future promised later, but, but in the here and now. But if that's true, if he's the guy that makes people come alive and stay alive, if he brings freedom and new life and transformation, what's the best way to come, come alive? How do we come alive? What, what's the best way to live? What is real, full life, the real, full life Jesus came to bring? What does it look like? And last week, we talked about how Jesus summed it up. He said, he said, here's how you can sum it up. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all you've got and love people like God loves them. That sums it up. That's how you come to life. 
But even in those words that he uses, heart, soul, strength, mind, what he's showing us is that he wants all of us. He wants to wants us to bring all of ourselves to him because he can use all of it for his glory. So don't turn off your mind when you become a follower of Jesus. Don't turn off your emotions, all your heart. Don't turn off your emotions. Don't turn off your actions. Bring all of it because God can use all of it. So we're looking at what it means to be Christ-like or set apart or holy in our thinking, in our feeling, and in our actions, in our doing. And this week, we're going to look at holy emotions, which is maybe a phrase that, that we've never really pondered before. Let's say right up front, we are emotional beings. We People are emotional, and we live emotional lives. Helen Keller once said, the best and most beautiful things in the world can't be seen or even touched. They must be felt with the heart. So our days are filled with emotions, anger, fear, happiness, sadness, Surprise, disgust. I know this sounds like a Disney movie, but these are the emotions that we walk through our days with. And these emotions motivate. So they can motivate and they can actually drive us. They can become our driving force. Maybe we chase happiness and that's it. That's what we're after. That's, that's our goal. Or to avoid sadness. Maybe avoiding sadness is that's what we're going to make our lives all about. Or maybe we wall ourselves off out of fear that maybe we'll get hurt again. And so oftentimes we live lives chasing these or avoiding these emotions as destinations. Like they become the goal, they become the destination, rather than using them as a barometer or or an outflow or looking at them as an outflow of, of a larger life that we're living, a larger inner working in our life. So we look at them at destinations, but the problem is, according to the American Institute of Stress, which is a real thing because we need it, the American Institute of Stress, um says this strategy of making emotions our destinations might not be helping us come to life. We might not be coming to life at all. Americans are the most stressed out people in the world. 77% of people say they experience regularly physical symptoms caused by stress. 77, three out of four. Most of us in this room experience not just emotional, physical symptoms of stress. 73, psychological symptoms of stress. 33%, one in three people say they feel extreme stress. Nearly half people, 48% of people, say they feel their stress has increased over the past five years. 48%, nearly half, say stress has a negative impact on their personal and professional life. 50% of people say, generally, I'm irritable or angry. 45% of people say, generally, I feel nervous. Our emotions are maxed out. And often, they're wrongly used. We spend billions on our emotional health, on medications and treatments, and most of those are actually good things, but oftentimes, these are just Band-Aids rather than transformation. So our lives are more than emotions, but they're not less than emotions. We need more than feelings, but feelings are an important part of who we are. So how are we doing? How are you doing? Are you feeling transformed? Are you coming to life? Are you just one next emotional moment away from it all just falling apart? And I think we need to first get an understanding of of the proper place for emotions before we kind of figure out what we're supposed to do with them. 
We have to go all the way back to the beginning of the scriptures if we want to do that, though. If we want to get a, a picture of, of emotions in their right place, um, we got to go back to the beginning. So in Genesis chapter 2, it says humanity was created in God's image, created holy, in perfect harmony, and in right relationships. Uh, God in right relationship with people, people in right relationship with each other and with the world around them. And so Adam and Eve went about joining God and moving his good creation forward. That's what they're here for. And there's good harmony around that, perfect harmony around that, until there wasn't. Adam and Eve believed a lie that says God isn't trustworthy, and they decided they wanted to make their own decisions about what right and wrong was. They wanted to guide themselves rather than trust God to guide them, and it separated them from God, and it separated them from each other, and it separated them from the world, and that's sin. And it's the same thing we tend to do. We tend to believe that we want to choose right and wrong over God. Maybe God is a good guidepost, but ultimately I'll choose my own right and wrong, and we perpetuate the same sin over and over again believe we know better. And our whole selves actually reflect that. Our thoughts and our actions and even our emotions reflect that we know better. So our emotions are no longer perfect, no longer true, no longer in harmony with God, no longer holy or reflecting his character perfectly. And two of the first thing that happened when Adam and Eve walk away from God, if you continue in the scriptures, if you continue in Genesis or this, they feel shame rather than joy. And soon their anger gives way to murder. Things go wrong really quick, and it gets really bad. And this wrongness is passed on again and again and again and again. And we don't have to do more than turn on the news or look in the mirror to know that it's true. And so emotions get messed up at the fall, and that has a result for us today. And, and so we, we fight for things that we actually shouldn't. Maybe out of fear, maybe out of anger, maybe out of frustration. We fight for recognition, we fight for status, we fight to feel worth, and we fight with people we shouldn't. We fight with our family, we fight with those closest to us. We fight with strangers that are far more like us than different than us because we feel the same shame and the same anger the first people did when they chose to make their own decisions about right and wrong. So that's the condition. That's why things are all messed up. But what do we do about it? I don't think a God, our God is a God who leaves us hopeless. So what are we supposed to do about it? Well, one common mistake, one solution or, or an intended solution, but is actually a mistake, is, is that the best thing we can do is because our emotions are out of whack and we believe what we, what we think is obviously more important than, than what we feel, let's just turn off emotions altogether. Let's just turn those off, right? Because they're not that important. What I think is more important than what I feel and my emotions are out of whack anyway, so I'll just turn, that out. I'll turn it off. I'll suppress that. But I recently heard something that really stuck with me. Being unemotional is as dangerous as being overly emotional. Because being unemotional denies a faculty God has given us and that God himself displays. Because Jesus showed emotions. Maybe you've heard of this. Maybe you've thought about it before. Maybe you haven't. Maybe that's kind of the first time you've ever thought, well, Jesus showed emotions. Yeah, he showed sadness. One place on Palm Sunday before, before he goes to the cross, as he rides into Jerusalem, he, he laments over the people not seeing him for who he really was. He showed anger. He overturns the tables and the temple in pursuit of justice because it had become a place like a market where they were taking advantage of people. He showed grief 
At the death of his friend Lazarus, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept, a result of his grief. Jesus showed agony in the Garden of Gethsemane as he prays before he's arrested. He, he says in his agony, he says, God, if you, if you could take this away from me, please do. He says he sweat like blood. It was, he was in agony. Jesus came to show us, not that we're supposed to turn our emotions off. He came to show us holiness even in emotions. And these godly emotions led to godly actions. He goes to the cross. He dies for our sins. Our broken relationship with God, that thing from all the way in the beginning, when people first walked away, Jesus died for that, to set that right, to pull that all back together. Jesus showed us that you might be able to serve without loving, but you can't love without serving. And so he does. And then he comes back to life at Easter, and he offers new life. He offers this transformed life. As Paul says in Galatians, Galatians 2, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And he offers to transform everything about us, even our emotions, to pull them back into line with what we have been created for, from the wrong destination to a new way of living and feeling. And if we follow him, he gives us this new life. And our attentions start to move toward being rightly focused on him. And that will bring transformation for our whole life. Titus 3 says this, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us, how? Through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So the way he did it is through a gift. We didn't earn it. We didn't generate it. It's a gift, and it's the Holy Spirit. It's a different spirit. The, 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 the scriptural word for spirit and wind are actually the same in the Old Testament. There's this new wind that comes. It's this new direction. It's this new guide. If you, if you're, uh, if you are a ship's captain, a wind shift is an important thing. Jesus said, hey, I'm going to give you a gift. It's this new direction. It's this new way of moving forward. And that gift is talked about in Galatians chapter 5. We've already sung about it. The fruit of the Spirit, the product, the outcome, the outflow of this gift will start to show up in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You'll start to see the outflow of this because our emotions are no longer a destination. The destination is Christ, and he transforms us. But do you notice anything interesting about those first three? Love, joy, and peace. These are words that are oftentimes associated with feelings. I'm sure you've heard it said, maybe even said, I feel so in love. I feel joy at this or that. I feel at peace. There's maybe a place or a time where you think of, and it makes you think, man, I, I feel love when I'm with these people. I feel joy when I, when I get to do this in my life. I feel at peace there. One of my favorite things that I get to do um, is go to weddings, uh, which I know is weird. That's a weird thing to say, and most people are like, you like going, yeah, I love going to weddings, which is actually very convenient because I get to officiate weddings pretty often. So I get to go to more weddings than most people, and, and I love it. And maybe it's because of what I get to see at, at weddings. 
I mean, all these different people from all these different places with all these different backgrounds and all these different hopes and fears and dreams and aspirations. But in that moment, everybody comes together and we focus around what is good and right and true and lovely, nothing but potential. And we all put everything aside and we simply focus on that. And I don't think we get that many pictures of what the kingdom is going to look like, but I think this is one of them where all these different people from all these different places come together and there's nothing but potential, the potential goodness of what's going on with that couple. I think there's one other place uh, in my life that, that I get to experience something like the fullness of the kingdom. It's when I get to sit in my big chair in my living room, and that's right next to my record player, and I spin a vinyl, and it's kind of playing softly, and then my kids and my wife are like playing a game beside me, and I just kind of drift. Like That's, that's the other place in my life where I, I feel something like what God made us for, I think. I would contend that these aspects of coming to life, the life that Jesus frees us up for, are certainly more than just emotions. Love and joy and peace, they're certainly more than emotions. They're more than what we feel. But they're not devoid of emotions. There's an emotional component to love and joy and peace. I remember when I was in high school, I said this statement definitively. I don't think to anyone, but I said it definitively and I meant it. I want to date Abby Latimer. That's Abby's maiden name, Abby Latimer. If you're like, oh, you shouldn't say that in front of your wife. No, that's her. That's, that's my wife. I was in a relationship. She was in a relationship. We didn't really know each other that well, but I made a definitive statement. But I was just so enthralled with her. I mean, she was so beautiful, and she was so talented, and she was the lead in every school play, and she played the harp, and she played the piano, and she was a dancer, and she was a singer, and she was just lovely. She moved through high school like an angel. And I said, I want to date Abby Latimer. Two and a half years later, I got the opportunity. So uh, love, joy, and peace, what's the, what's the next one on there? Patience. Sometimes you need patience to, to experience love, joy, uh, and peace. It took two and a half years. But man, I, I don't know if it was love at first sight. It probably wasn't, but it sure felt like it when I was 18 years old. The thing is, though, love may start as an emotion. I don't even think that's a bad starting place, to be honest. It may start as an emotion, and there's always going to be an emotional component to it, but it can't end there. Tim Keller says, love is more fundamentally action than emotions. And it should be. In America, the number one reason why people say they get married, you can probably guess it, I fell in love, right? I fell in love, that's why I'm getting married. You know the number one reason people cite for, for getting a divorce in America? You could probably guess this, too. I fell out of love. This is not the type of love Jesus shows us or empowers in us through his spirit. Jesus gave everything. He gave his very life because of love. And in that way, he shows us the full character of God, the fullness of love. He shows it by laying his life down. He was willing to make himself a servant of all. So love is all choice then, right? It's all what you choose. It's all action. Because if Jesus shows us that, you know, he laid his life down, and so it's all action, right? I don't think so. For the one that says, I, I don't feel love, right? Because you don't feel love, it's supposed to be an action. So I don't feel love and I want to walk away. I've fallen out of love. Here's what I would give an advice. And, I, and, I, and I'm, and I'm going to kind of try to land this in this room because I know there are some of us that in our marriages, like, it's hard. And, and that feeling of love is, is, just, is just gone. And it's, and it's all action. It's just kind of like gripping on tight and just kind of holding on right now. 
and there's an important caveat to what I'm about to say. If you're if you're experiencing abuse or in any way, shape, or form, like get safe. That's that's what you need to do. But if that isn't present, if, if someone says, I've fallen out of love with my spouse, here's what I would say. Actively pray about it. Not passively, not like, well, if God tells me, then I'll, I'll do something. No, actively pray about it every single day that God would continue to make your heart like his. Don't wait for the feeling to show up. And number two, be willing to move back into the space of feeling love, which is hard work. Because again, we just wall our emotions off and be like, well, you know what, that season of my life is over and it's silly anyway because emotions are, are all messed up and so I don't ever plan on feeling love again. I think this is the most important thing I'm going to say to at least a couple people in the room. If you're having a difficulty in your marriage or with a child, keep loving and be ready to feel it. Keep loving and be ready to feel it. Because love at its best, at its most beautiful, can't flow from disengaged emotions. You can love and you can serve and it can be all action, but love at its purest, at its most beautiful, as it is intended, doesn't come from disengaged emotions. I think the same is true for experiencing joy as well. There's so many things that can bring happiness in, uh, in, in, in our world. Uh, and, and a lot of them are good, walking on the beach, petting a puppy a good meal, right? These things bring happiness. They just do. I saw a picture this morning. I was uh, scrolling on Facebook for like two minutes and I saw a picture of, a, of an Australian shepherd puppy. And I was just like, aw. Like I was so happy for a moment, right? And so those bring happiness. But there are some things that are ultimately harmful that actually bring happiness as well. Maybe an inappropriate relationship with a coworker. For a moment, that can bring happiness. Drugs, alcohol, entertainment that numbs us out. These things can bring momentary, at least relief, if not something like happiness. But all of these things fall short of bringing joy. Because they don't leave us more connected with ourselves or with others or with God. Remember the thing that Jesus came to repair all the way from back in the beginning. Those things don't reconnect us. Things that reconnect us, restore us, bring us more than happiness. They bring us joy. But the reality is joy can be an elusive thing. And so sometimes we just aim for happiness. So it's just like, okay, happiness is as close as I can get and I can just keep trying to fill that tank up over and over again because joy is a little more elusive than we'd like it to be. Because the thing is, if we, uh, and Brene Brown just talked about this recently. It was brilliant how she talked about it. But she said joy is elusive because if we admit we feel it, there's a bit of us in fear, because fear is part of our emotions, too. In fear, we become immediately prepared it'll go away. Like if I experience true connectedness, there's this little fear lurking in the dark that says, you know what, it's going to go away. It's like as though in, in this world, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you believe the Bible or not, we all experience the disappointment of getting our hopes up only to be disappointed. And so, like I said, it's like lurking in the shadows all the time. If we admit we have joy and we're connected to something, we fear disappointment as well. And so what's the antidote? Do we just like lower the bar and say, okay, well, I'll just go for happiness and I'll just keep filling it up and when it goes down, I'll fill it up, fill it up. No, there's an antidote because joy is important. Joy is a gift of the spirit, this transformed life. And so the antidote to uh, not having joy, surprisingly, is gratitude. Fear draws us away from God, but gratitude actually draws us near Him. See, thanksgiving and gratitude, they're the seedbed of joy. It's impossible to grow joy or for God to grow joy in you without 
gratitude and thanksgiving. So my encouragement for you today, no matter where you are, no matter how you walked in the room this morning, don't forget, no matter what is going on, when fear is lurking, to turn to gratitude and be grateful. I spent a little bit of time um, this week just listing out some things that I'm grateful for. It was a really important exercise for me. It took, I mean, it took up pages. I want to list just a couple of them if, if it's helpful. It was helpful for me. I, I realize I'm so grateful for a God whose grace doesn't run out. Because if it did, he'd have left me alone a long time ago, but he doesn't. He keeps showing up in love. And he keeps coming back. And his cross proves it. Whenever I run away, whenever I turn away, whenever I drift away, he's always a God who stands there with open arms to receive me again. And in fact, he's like that father of the prodigal son. He doesn't just stand and wait for me to show up. He actually runs down the road to greet me. I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful for my family. Grateful for my wife, that Abby Latimer became Abby Abbott. I'm grateful for my children that God's trusting me enough to, to be a steward of them, to kind of raise them in the way they should go. I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful for you. I wanted to be sure to tell you that. I'm grateful that God lets us do this together, to gather together and try to figure more out about who he is and have that inform how we live outside this room to invite his spirit to change us. I'm so grateful for that, that I don't have to do life alone. Don't forget to remember what you've been given. And don't be terrified of joy. Pursue it. And it doesn't mean that everything will, will be good all the time, that everything you experience will lead to happiness. But what it means is, if you're not scared of joy, it means you can feel joy even as you walk through what's not right. That's actually where you find peace. Peace is accepting God's control. And again, this isn't something we can muster up on our own. This is so important. It's a gift given to us as we trust him as our destination. I think one of the most powerful examples of this in the scriptures, Abby and I have been uh, wrestling with this scripture and talking about this scripture a lot over the last few months. Uh, it's in Daniel chapter 3. And God's people are under the rule of uh, this guy called King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon and he mandates that all people have to worship him. And, these, and there's these three guys that refuse to bow down to the image of the king. And so in verse 16, it picks up this way. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are, that's three names. So if you're looking for a kid name, those are three solid ones. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego reply to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. That's bold. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, that's the punishment for not worshiping the king. The God we serve will be able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. And even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. And even if he doesn't, he can. And even if he doesn't, even if I don't get what I want, even if it doesn't work out, even if I don't get the job, or the girl, or the money, or the safety, or the good prognosis, or the promotion, even if it gets harder rather than easier, I will trust God. See, peace isn't just the absence of, of stress, or pain, or discord. It's the presence of something bigger. 
It's embracing and holding on to the reality that God is in control and that's okay. And that's not natural to feel that way or believe that truth. But thankfully, we don't have to do it on our own power. So we want to be emotionally healthy. We want those statistics of the American Institute of Stress to not be true. Do you want to come to life? You want to feel fully alive? The only way we can hope to do that, to move our emotions, things God has given us and God himself displayed, the only way we can move our emotions back in line with what we're created for, back in line with his character, is through grace. We can't white-knuckle it to holiness. It's him that makes us come alive. It's his spirit that empowers love and joy and peace, along with the other outworkings of the Spirit in our lives. See, before Jesus went to the cross, he took, before he took that penalty for everyone, for everywhere we fall short so that we could come to life, before he does that, he sits with his followers and he says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I don't give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. So we don't come to life by thinking ourselves to being better. We can't. Changed minds may lead to changed hearts, but it's changed hearts that change the world. We come to life as our emotions are transformed by his sacrifice on the cross and the gift he gives us in the spirit for our living. And here's the thing, don't you think if we engaged our full selves, heart, soul, strength, mind, in love and joy and peace, if we engaged all of ourselves in that activity, if we invited it and created space for it and trusting him to transform us, don't you think it would matter for more than just us? Don't you think it would change you but also the people around you? Don't you think your relationships would change? Don't you think the people that go unnoticed in this world would start to get noticed? I believe it would change more than just us if we pursued holy emotions. We're emotional. We're emotional beings who live emotional lives, and we should be. God was, and he made us that way. But holy emotions look different in ways that matter for the world around us and come from the one who came to change us. Love God with all you've got. Don't turn any part of yourself off, not even your emotions. Because God says he can use every bit of you. Let's pray. God, thanks for uh, that truth. Thank you that um, in a world that maybe screams at us, uh, you're only your emotions, you're only what you feel, or a world that screams you need to turn off your emotions and you only matters what you think, that you bring us into balance that you want us to be healthy, that you want us to display emotions, that you want us to have those emotions change us and move us and motivate us, and that's a good thing. But I pray that we don't take advantage of that desire and try to go it on our own. I pray that we would be people who pursue your spirit because the transformed life isn't something that we can muster up on our own. 
We need you, God. And so I pray for love and joy and peace. I pray for fully engaged emotions because they'll help us love others well. They'll help us experience joy and they'll help us pursue peace. So I pray that you would be with us by your spirit to continue to transform us and that we would be smart enough to continue to invite you in. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.